And I think the fear is if you do weight training, it's too taxing on the adrenals. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it's actually not. It's actually good for the adrenals because think about it. When you're doing cardio, you're never resting your adrenals. You're never resting your heart rate. You're doing this constant, let's just hit this cardio. Your heart's never going down. Your heart rate is never going down. Just constantly hitting it. So your adrenals are getting taxed. When you're doing weight training, you stop, take your rest period, heart rate comes down, take a little breather. That's actually good for your adrenals. And that's what's really tough is because women don't, a lot of women don't realize that because again, they're just told you need to lose weight, exercise more. And when you think of exercise, what do most people think of? I'm going to go do cardio. What's up, lovely ladies? Dr. Emily Kybert here with Thyroid Strong Podcast. I am a chiropractor, a mama to Elvis in Brooklyn, and I have Hashimoto's, but it's currently in remission. On this podcast, I share simple, actionable steps with a little bit of tough love on how to lose that stubborn weight, get your energy and your life back, and finally learn how to work out without burning out, living with Hashimoto's. Today, I sit down with Angela Brown. She is a fellow movement specialist, a licensed physical therapist, as well as a personal trainer. She's also a certified functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner. So she has all these amazing different skills, and she helps women with thyroid issues recover from their hypothyroidism with advanced testing, as well as in their workouts. She has a program called Sexy Thyroid Solution to help women no longer suffer like she did and to get to the root cause of their health issues. And I know you're thinking, Em, but you do something really similar. You're a chiropractor, movement specialist, strength-focused lady for the Hashimoto's crew. And I love sitting down with someone of a like background because sometimes you sit down with the functional medicine docs And they are amazing in what they share in terms of diet, lifestyle changes, environmental factors to change. But it's so cool to sit down with someone who also has a movement strength background because as you'll hear in the episode, we both see very similar tendencies, habits, consistencies with our Hashi ladies. One of them that I've talked about for a long time that I really haven't heard anyone else talk about is this element of ligament laxity, tissue hypermobility. And when I talk about it with my functional medicine doc friends, they're like, Em, what are you talking about? But that's because they don't look at the Hashi population through a movement tissue quality lens. They're typically looking at them from all those internal processes. So, so fun to sit down with Angela. She's a holistic health coach from St. Louis, and we just deep dive into why to let go of the cardio don't be a cardio queen, and why to start picking up the weights. All right. If you enjoyed this episode, go to iTunes, subscribe, leave an honest review, give it five stars if you loved it. And yeah, let me know in the comments what you thought of this episode. Angela Brown, welcome to Thyroid Strong Podcast. Excited to have a fellow movement and strength rehab specialist who also works with the autoimmune population. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you for having me. So 
Can you just share a little bit of like how you started working with women with hypothyroidism and as well as Hashimoto's? So I actually got diagnosed with hypothyroidism when I was 22. And at that time, I was practicing as a physical therapist, got certified as a personal trainer not long after that. And <laughs> was really struggling with my own health, super frustrated. And at that time, every doctor that I went to was like, exercise more, eat less. And of course, that's what I did because that's what I was told by the doctors. And I quickly started realizing that there was a little bit more to it than that. And when I started doing more investigation, I started realizing like there's a pretty big missing area when it comes to like the thyroid world. There was a pretty big missing area with outside of take your thyroid medication, eat less exercise more was pretty much the norm. And it was getting super frustrating for me and especially because I'm working in the medical industry and I was just getting brushed off. So I started studying functional medicine when I got certified in functional diagnostic nutrition eight years ago. That's when I really started realizing like there really is a big missing link here. And so when, once I got that certification, I started utilizing a bunch of functional lab testing, things like that. That's when I actually realized I'm like, I think I might have Hashimoto's. I think there's an autoimmune connection here. And again, doctors were like, I don't even know what that is. I mean, I, I, I at least had three doctors that never even heard of Hashimoto's. Wild. And I had to explain it to them what it was. Wild. Wild, which was very eye-opening for me. And that's exactly why I was like, all right, I think I'm actually, I still have my physical therapy license. I still have my personal training certification. And then I still utilize that inside my practice when I start working with women. Because what I noticed was, first of all, so many women have hypothyroidism. They also have this autoimmune connection and they typically are not tested for it. And then thirdly, what I also noticed was they don't know how to move. They don't know how to exercise. They don't know what's good, what's not good. Because again, the norm is take your thyroid pill, stop eating <laughs> or eat less and exercise more. That's just the normal, typical thing that they're told. I mean, I was told this so often that I thought maybe it's just me. But then I started realizing, I'm like, no, nah, there's a lot of women that are told the same thing. And so that's kind of what got me into this was I'm like, okay, there's like so much missing area here to help women. And when I started utilizing all this on myself, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is a pretty big game changer when I started doing the right exercises for my body and, you know, where my thyroid was at and where my health was at instead of I'm going to cut my calories and do more cardio today. In fact, I don't even do cardio anymore. People are shocked when I tell them that I don't do cardio. They're like, how do you not do cardio? Like, you seem like you're in, like fit. And I'm like, I, I don't, I don't do any cardio. I do all weight training and they're shocked. And I'm like, people with Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism should not be doing cardio. And they just were like, I don't understand. That's what I'm always told. I'm like, well, that's normal. That's what I was told. So that's yeah. pretty much what got me into this and why I'm so adamant about it too. Yeah. And being a physical therapist and a personal trainer is a very physically demanding job. And it's also a very emotionally <laughs> very. demanding job. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And I see everyone from, you know, especially when I was practicing just in physical therapy clinics, from I worked an outpatient, I was mostly in sports, but I would see a lot of emotions with it too. Yeah. Because people were like, recovering from an injury and, you know, am I ever going to be able to work out again? Or am I ever going to be able to do my job again? And things like that. And then upon that, I also started noticing like, there's a lot of other things missing here. Like they're not working on inflammation. They're not working on what they're eating. They're not working on any of those things that could actually help improve their healing process. Yeah. And so that, that's actually what really drew me to, 
I'm going to start looking at other avenues than just doing physical therapy with people because I'm like, there's, there's really some missing stuff here. Yeah. So what is the right exercise for women with Hashimoto's? <laughs> so <laughs> this is, I get asked this all the time. And just first of all, from my own personal experience, but even in working with so many women is cardio is like, I always say this, it is like the devil for so many women when they have Hashimoto's. And again, most people with Hashimoto's, especially women, what are they trying to do? They're usually trying to lose weight. They're usually trying to get fit and, or they don't have the energy and they're like, I'm, I'm going to do more cardio. Maybe it'll actually give me more energy. And what I have found is that cardio, it, it just can make things so much worse. Um, especially when you have autoimmune, your body is not designed <laughs> to do this long duration cardio and kill yourself. Your adrenals are not going to be happy. Your thyroid is going to end up paying the price for it. So the exercise that I always go for is weight training. That's going to be the thing that I always recommend. Essentially, that's what I had to do. And it was a really tough transition for me because when I first was doing it, especially practicing as a PT, I was doing, sometimes I would even do two a days. Again, wasn't smart, but I would do two a days. I would do like weight training for like an hour and a half in the morning. And then I would go do steady state cardio for like another hour and a half in the afternoon. And shockingly, I was putting weight on. And I'm like, something's not right here. I'm putting weight on and I'm actually doing a ton of workout, ton of cardio, ton of exercise. And what I found was it, first of all, it doesn't need to be that long. And weight training was definitely the thing that kind of got me over that hump. And I started realizing like my thyroid and my body is so much happier with resistance training, with weight training. That's typically what I'm always going to recommend. That's what I recommend to all my clients. Some of them are doing that. They're doing it for too long or doing it, you know, twice a day or something like that. And I have to cut them back. But some of them are like, no, I'm just doing running. And I'm like, we got to cut that out. And it's a hard transition because I, I mean, I can totally understand it. I was in that position too, but I get a lot of runners. I get a lot of people who are, you know, they do bicycling and all that stuff. And they're doing this really long hours on end of cardio a day. And they're exhausted. And they just keep feeling worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, no, you actually need the weight training. Secondly, most people with Hashimoto's, they lose muscle mass. They lose muscle tone and all that. And I'm like, you have to have strong muscles. You have to create that. Your body is going to need that down the line, especially. I'm like, so if you are doing just straight cardio, your body's not going to like that down the road either. Yeah. So how do you design, right? Because weight training can come in a lot of different forms right? In terms mm-hmm. of like reps and yeah. set scheme and how long do you take a rest break and what weight do you pick up? And and mm-hmm. typically the goal for the woman with Hashimoto's is have more energy and lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. And usually every other, every other yeah, yeah. symptom is kind of like to the wayside behind those two. So what does right. a program right. look like when you design a weight training program in terms of like maybe like rep and set scheme so, or what kind of moves they're doing? That kind of stuff. Yeah. So my goal always, I want to get functional moves in. And a lot of times, again, they're like, what do you mean by functional moves? I don't even know what that is. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, do you need to get off the toilet? Do you need to stand up from a chair? Do you need to bend over to pick something off the floor? Do you need to pick up your kit? I'm like, those are functional moves. So I'm going to have them do the functional movement patterns, squats, deadlifts, things like that. Um, I want movements that like you need to do every single day. So that's one thing that I'm always going to design around. Secondly, and this is another really tricky area because again, women are so scared of getting bulky. And when I tell them how much weight I lift, they're like, you do what? I'm like, they're like, how are you not massive? And I'm like, because it depends on how it's designed. But I'm like, 
the heavier, the better. I'm like, you don't need to do a workout for two hours on end with weight training. I'm like, I would rather it be 30 minutes long, go heavy. I'm like, take bigger rest period. I'm like, when you do it, you're going to hit those reps, get your reps in, but make sure we are cutting down on the, as far as like the, the length, the total length of the workout. I'm like, you don't need to do it for hours on end. I would rather, rather it be shorter, get the, make sure that make the rest periods, you know, a little bit longer in between sets, but go heavier so that you can get the intensity in and then cut down on that as far as like how long that total workout is. And it's shocking. A lot of women are like, I can't do that. Yeah. Because that's not what they're told. The norm is, oh, or they're, they're scared they're going to get bulky. So they're not doing heavier. Um, they're not doing functional moves. They're doing like, I'm going to do a bicep curl. I'm going to do a tricep exercise. But God forbid if they do like squats or deadlifts or, you know, kettlebells, things like that. A lot of them are like, I don't even know what a kettlebell is. And I'm like, kettlebells are amazing. That's probably the one of my favorite ones that I use all the time in my own workout. And it's really tough because that, the, the mindset is a big piece of it. And I'm like, you have to get past that. You have to get past that. You're going to get such better benefits when you do workouts that way versus let's go. And, and, and Or a lot of them are like, I'll do 30 minutes weight training and then I'm going to do cardio with it. I'm like, oh, let's not do that either. Let's just get that weight training in. Again, I, I get it. It was a tough transition for me because I was the cardio queen. Yeah. Doing my workouts for way long and doing super lightweight and a bazillion reps. And I'm like, no, yeah, you don't need to do that. I'm like, that's not how you do it. I'm like, we're going to go lower reps, heavier weight, bigger rest periods. I'm like, that's the way that I feel like women, especially in Hashimoto's, you don't have the energy to do workouts on end for like hours. I'm like, you you can't do that to your body. Yeah. What weight? So like, let's say you were taking someone through like a deadlift or maybe a squat. And those are very two different moves and two different maybe weight requirements. But is there a starting weight that you would start a woman at with a deadlift? Oh, man, that definitely depends on the person. Some of that is, too, because I'm super picky. With my PT background, I'm like, I want to see your form. And <laughs> yeah, of course. So a lot of times, and I do Zoom calls with all my clients. So sometimes I'm like, all right, I want to see a video like of your move. Like, can you even do the pattern? without any weight. And if they can't even get the pattern down without the weight, I'm like, then we're going to go super low. But like, I have some clients that go anywhere from a 50 pound deadlift, they're up to a 200 pound deadlift, really depends on where they're they're at. And it depends on, you know, if there's injuries involved, past injuries, things like that. But they're shocked because a lot of them are like, uh, you're going to have me do 50 pounds. Some of them do it. They really struggle with just 50 pounds. And I'm like, yeah, because you're picking something off the floor or like your toddler, some toddlers are heavy. I'm like, yeah, gotta be able to do that. So I'm like, yeah, you're going to go a little bit heavier. I'd rather you have lower reps than let's go super light and you're just going to rep it out. I'm like, it doesn't, you're not going to have the energy for that. Yeah. So it definitely depends on the person, but yeah, usually, usually it's going to be at least 50. Again, depends on the person. Majority of mine, I typically am having them even starting at like 80, 90. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Just trust me. I'm like, you'll be able to do it. I'm like, you'll be able to do it, but you have to like, but I would, I do like to see their form, that sort of thing. I'm like, you can't even do it without the weight. I'm like, okay, we're, we're definitely gonna have to go lighter or what they have access to. Cause sometimes they're like, I'm at home and I only have 70 pounds max or something. And I'm like, okay, that's a different ballgame. Yeah. Uh, but if they're going to a gym, I'm like, you're going to have access to it. So I'm like, we're going to go up. Yeah. I would say the same, like 50 pounds is 
two 12 kilo kettlebells is kind of the bare minimum. Sometimes I see women picking up one 12 kilo. I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to do two. <laughs> yeah. And that's so, so light. Yeah. Because you need the resistance yeah, to like get the muscles yeah. to fire and to get your body to tell you where you are, yeah. where you are in time and space. What are some common mistakes that you might see women make when they're first lifting weights with Hashimoto's? So one of the, the, the bigger, bigger one I see is, is the, the amount of resistance. They're going way, way light. They're using super lightweight and just, in fact, I just started working with a client designing her workout program. And she's like, this is kind of what I do. And I'm like, well, send me the picture because she does everything at home. Send me your picture. Send me what you have. And the highest dumbbell she had was eight pounds. The highest kettlebell was, kettlebell was 10 pounds. I'm like, okay, so first and foremost, you're going to go buy new equipment. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the big mistakes I see is way light. I'm like, and they're doing a ton of reps. And I'm like, you're not going to get enough engagement of the muscles. I'm like, even with 50 reps, you might feel the burn, but it's still not loading the muscle enough. I'm like, that's one of the biggest mistakes I see. The other thing is they're flying through it instead of taking those rest periods. I'm like, when you do it properly and you're doing that good amount of resistance, you're going to need the rest. I'm like, so if you can go back to back to back to back, like exercise after exercise and no rest period, I'm like, you're going too light. And they're, again, they're shocked with that. They're like, uh, are you serious? And I'm like, yeah, you actually, if you're, if you can go exercise one after the other and you're flying through it quickly, I'm like, then the weight's not high enough. I'm like, so you need to take those rest periods. You need to recoup and then go back to that heavy, whatever it is, kettlebell, or even if they're doing like a chest thing or back thing or whatever, I'm like, the that's one of the biggest mistakes that I'll see. Another one that I see a lot is, uh, I kind of mentioned this a little bit ago, is they're going to, when they do the cardio stuff with the weight training, sometimes they'll even do like, and I actually literally just saw this at the gym this morning. So hopefully I'm not calling someone out, but she did squat, was doing a squat pattern. I think she was doing a kettlebell initially, and then she went to a bar and went and did hamstring curls and then went and jumped on the elliptical. And was flying on the elliptical like 100 miles an hour, going as fast as she can, and then went through, kept going through that circuit. Mm. And that is one thing that I see that does not work for a lot of people, especially with Hashimoto, is because you're, you need the muscle engagement. Now you're going to go hop on cardio. Your body's going to get thoroughly confused. Like, wait, what are you doing here? And the adrenals probably aren't going to like that either. So I typically do not like that, that combination. And again, that's sometimes for, for people because they're like, no, I like to get my heart rate up. I'm like, trust me, if you're doing heavy enough, your heart rate's going to get up. Yeah. If your heart rate's not getting up, again, you're not going heavy enough. So I'm like, don't do that cardio mixed in with it. I'm like, especially with Hashimoto's, I'm like, your body can't do that. It's not designed to do that. Yeah. I'm sure you've experienced this, but sometimes women, when they first start weight training, they feel exhausted after, mm -hmm. like they need to take a nap. Or they just feel totally uh -huh. yeah. wiped out by their training, even if they're not doing cardio, if they're just starting to pick up weights. What has been your experience with that person? So a couple things that I'll do with that. One, I may have to just say, look, your workout's literally going to be 10 minutes. <laughs> We're going to cut your workout time down. We're going to literally cut it down. The last thing I want to do is, first of all, make them feel defeated. Like, great, now I can't even work out. Right. So I'll cut their workout time down. I actually will still have them do the heavier weights. I maybe, I'm, depending on the person, I might cut the weight down even too, but I'm probably going to cut the workout time down with them so that we can kind of start tweaking it and make sure that they are getting recovery time. Secondly, 
The other thing I do is I'll, I'll end up spacing the workout times out. So if they say do a workout today, thoroughly exhausted tomorrow, I'm like, you're skipping tomorrow then. Give your body some rest. Let it rest, but then you're going to go back to it the next day. So I'll space that out. The other thing that I have had that's worked quite well for a few of my clients is because it's more, it's almost a mindset thing is it to get them to feel like they're doing something every day is then we might just split up body parts. So I might be like, okay, we're going to do a deadlift pattern or squat pattern, whatever on Monday, then you're going to skip Tuesday. Wednesday, we're going to do more chest back things, those kind of movement patterns, things like that. I may split that up kind of throughout the week. Doesn't work for everyone. I do have a few that it's worked for, but usually what I'm going to do is I'm like, okay, we're going to cut the workout time down. We're going to literally cut this workout time down so that you can feel like you're not completely defeated because I, my fear with that is if they continue to just be like, oh, I'm going to suck it up and push through it is that they're going to get to a point where the body's just completely tapped out. So, and I obviously don't want that for them. So again, it kind of depends on the person, but usually I'm cutting out the workout time. I might space the workouts a little bit more. And then we start slowly adding in the time. We start slowly adding in a more, another workout for the week. And then of course I feel it out too, because if, you know, if they got stress going on in their life, they got a stress response or something going on. I'm like, hmm, that's probably not helping things either. So We'll really focus a little bit more on the stress management response and how to work them kind of through the workouts then. But yeah, I, you see that a lot, especially with Hashimoto's. They're exhausted already usually. And so sometimes the workouts can drain them. So I'm really picky about that with them and kind of careful with how they're working out and listening to their body. That's the other thing is I want them to pay attention to that too, because sometimes it's really easy to get wrapped in, oh, I'm working out, I'm working out. And they don't pay attention to the symptoms and don't pay attention to how exhausted they are the next day or even later that day. So I'm really adamant about having them pay attention to how they feel post-workout. Yeah. A few hours later, that evening, next day sort of thing. Yeah. Do you make any specific recommendations around recovery? I know you mentioned it earlier, and it kind of ties in a little bit to like stress management, but specifically for the Hashi population, any specific recommendations around recovery? So when I talk to them about recovery, again, you know, anytime you work out, it's a stress response in the body. And that's one thing that people don't necessarily understand. A lot of times is, you know, when you work out, you're going to release cortisol. Your body, it, it is a stress response. It's a good stress response, but it's still a stress response. So we want to kind of mitigate that as well so that that doesn't, you know, add up with the cortisol response and things like that. And then, of course, obviously, we want to give the body time to recoup. So again, that's where it comes into play. Listen to your body. I need you to, I need clients to pay attention to how they feel post-workout, how they feel, you know, later that day, even the next morning. And the stress response is going to be a huge one here. So I may have them do breath work. I may have them do things to settle that like nervous system response. I may have them do some meditation. I may have them just go for a walk. I'm not a huge proponent. And this is, this is another tough thing. A lot of them, I'm just going to stretch and I'm like, mm. You have Hashimoto's, let's be careful. Um, a lot of them will just start cranking and stretching. And I'm like, you're going to have a little bit of ligament laxity with Hashimoto's. So I'm always a little hesitant with that, unless it's, of course, to kind of calm the nervous system and you're, it's more of a, I'm laying here meditating with it sort of thing. Maybe, depends on the person. But I'm going to do any, recommend anything they can do to settle that nervous system response. So it probably will look like meditation, breath, breath work. Sometimes I'll even have people do like the, to, to almost calm that like vagal nerve response. Like, I wish again, they're like, what are you talking about? Like gargling, yeah, humming, singing, things like that. Just it's, again, it just helps settle 
that nervous response. I may even have them change the timing of the workout because I do get a lot of people that they're like, oh, I work out at seven o'clock at night. And I'm like, a lot of people can't do that because again, cortisol is going to be when you work out and cortisol is supposed to be low at night. And so that's another thing that can be very tricky with people is they're like, oh, I only work out in the evenings. And I'm like, we're probably going to have to change that, especially if they're not feeling that recovery. Then I'm like, yeah, we're probably going to have to change that up a little bit. And I want them to pay attention to sleep too. Because if the sleep's off with it, that's another thing we have to factor in. Like, hey, well now, now we got to work on your sleep as well, because that can be connected to if the workout's been too crazy. Sometimes it can actually make them stay awake at night. But yeah, everyone's a little bit different. I have some that they're like, I do great. If I do some breath work post-workout, it kind of calms my nervous system. It may be, you know, if I just go for a walk to get out in nature, it calms the nervous system, things like that. And then of course, I'm really adamant about nutrition as well. Cause I'm like, don't go work out. And then you reward yourself with some junk food. I'm like, you still have to get your good nutrition. And I'm like, and a lot of them are not getting enough protein. in. that's the other thing I see. Majority of them are not getting enough protein. in. And I'm like, we need to support those muscles. And that's another thing that a lot of women are scared of is like, no, that's like men eat all this protein or bodybuilders. And I'm like, no, actually you do. <laughs> you need to with Hashimoto's. I'm like, so make sure you're getting that good nutrition in too. So what's your typical protein recommendation for a woman? Well, first of all, one of the clients that I work with, I'm usually doing some functional lab testing with them. Yeah. One of the big tests that I do is mineral analysis, hair tissue mineral analysis. And usually I end up seeing a pretty big mineral depletion. And they're usually in a, we call it a slow oxidizer, but it's like slow metabolism state and they need protein. And majority of my clients, when I start working with them, they're, I'm lucky if they're getting in like 80 grams of protein a day. I mean, I, they probably aren't even getting that in. Usually I'm like, okay, whatever your body weight is, we're going to get that grams in protein a day. Again, depends on the person. If someone is really, really overweight, I'm going to be very careful with that, especially if they haven't been eating that much protein, we kind of slowly increase it. But I'm like, no, you, you have to get in. I usually, if I'm kind of making a blank statement, I'm like at least 30 grams each meal. I want to see protein intake. Some need more than that. I personally actually need more than that. First of all, if I have enough protein, it keeps me fuller. But I do a lot of weight training and I'm doing pretty heavy. So I actually need more protein than that. I, I personally am getting in about 150 grams a day. But again, I kind of worked my way up with that. But the other factor is a lot of women, when I'm starting to work with them too, they're like, oh, I, I'll just do a protein shake post-workout. And it's usually a junk one. Again, very picky about, I'm like, I'm okay with, some protein shakes depends on what it is, but I'm like, I would rather, I want you to get like actual food in because a lot of people will end up doing those protein shakes and it'll be kind of a ritual for them every single time. And sometimes they'll end up putting junk in it or it's not a good source. But I'm like, if it's a good clean source, depending on what it is, I can get on board with it. If, but I'm like, you know, you still need like your carbs. <laughs> I'm like, especially post-workout, I'm like, don't just take only protein. And I'm like, you still need your good healthy carbs with it. But yeah, I it's it's a tough one because I, I need I know even for me, like years ago, I was definitely not getting enough protein in. And again, a lot of women are scared of that or they're like, I can't chew that amount of meat in a day that like grosses me out or fish or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, then we are going to add some protein in that from a powder form. But I still want you to get your protein intake in from food. So it depends on the person. And there could be other factors going on where like, like, yeah, we can't get their protein intake up that high. But yeah, most of them, I have to increase it. Do you have a favorite brand and source for the protein shake? 
So my one of my personal favorites is pure paleo, actually. They call it paleo. I wish they didn't call it paleo because it's not necessarily, it's not really like high fat. It doesn't have like a ton of fat in it, but it's a good clean source. It comes from like bone broth. Basically, it's like bone broth protein powder. That's usually one of my favorites. And one of the reasons why it's by a company called Designs for Health, which is a supplement company that's tested things. I mean, at nauseum, <laughs> they've done a ton of testing. It's a really, really good clean source. I that's actually the one that I use myself doesn't have a bunch of junk added to it. Things like that. That's typically the one that I recommend. There are some other ones out there. I personally haven't tried a ton of them. I know like Ancient Nutrition has some bone broth protein powder. They have collagen. I've had a couple of clients use it. You just have to be careful with like the flavoring. Sometimes they add those natural flavors and those can cause, can be triggers for people with Hashimoto's sometimes, things like that. But Fear Paleo is probably going to, it's probably always going to be my go-to one by Designs for Health because I've just, they've done so much testing around it. It's super clean. I, I really haven't had any issues with it. So let's go, because you mentioned quickly ligament laxity. And so I've, know that I've noticed this in Hashimoto's women as well. And it's interesting because not a lot of oh. people look at the Hashi population from a movement perspective, right? They're typically looking at them from, mm -hmm. you know, what is your lab work? What is your symptoms from like a functional medicine perspective? Right, right. And I've noticed this as well. And I've actually brought it up to some functional medicine friends and they're like, hmm. You know, there's no research on it. I've actually looked like scoured PubMed. And so I talk about it as like a clinical finding. It's like this element of tissue laxity, hypermobility, lack of joint integrity. And it sounds like you have found this as well in your Hashi ladies. Yeah, I totally have. And it's interesting that you say that because I have had people say, do you have research on this? And I'm like, there really isn't a lot of research. It's more of a clinical thing. I can tell you. When I worked in a physical therapy practice, and again, I was mostly working in outpatient clinic, a lot of sports injuries, things like that. The majority of the women that came to me, a lot of them, because I did a pretty extensive uh, health history questionnaire and stuff. A lot of them had symptoms. I can't tell you if they had Hashimoto's, but a lot of them had symptoms of what you would consider a Hashi's person. And a lot of them had ligament laxity. I would see it a lot. And that's why a lot of them had injuries. Ironically... <laughs> The one, the one of the last clinics that I worked at had a, I don't even remember the name of the place, but it, it was basically a stretching class. That's all it did was stretch, stretch, stretch. And I could see some of the ways that they were doing the stretching. And it was crazy what some of these women were doing. They would end up in our clinic. Typically within a month, they would end up in our clinic because they had so many injuries from overstretching, things like that. And I definitely started seeing some connections there with that. But I will say like now even, a lot of the women that I work with that are Hashi's people, even like I can see them doing their moves and stuff because I'll watch them on Zoom calls and be like, Sh you know, show me this, show me that. And I'm like, whoa, there is so much ligament laxity. You can just see it. I'm like, that's why, that's exactly why we're doing weight training. And I'm not going to have you like kill yourself with stretching right now because you, you, you'll see it so much. And it just, it just adds to the fire. It's not going to help anything. Yeah. What do you think that ligament laxity is attributed to? I don't have a definitive answer. I don't know if it's just like, oh, there's genetically snips of ligament laxity, not necessarily like an earlier Danlos. I, but yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. curious. What do you I think it's attributed to? The genetic. Yeah, I've always wondered that too. The genetic, I'm thinking genetics is a huge factor for sure. I'm really hoping there's going to be more research out on this, but I feel like there's a genetic factor for sure when it comes to that. I think there are some people who are predisposed to it, regardless of Hashimoto's. I also think that 
you know, there, it's an autoimmune response. The body can do some really funky things <laughs> when we have an autoimmune response, whether it's like from celiac or, you know, rheumatoid arthritis or whatever it may be. Anytime there's an autoimmune response, the body can do some really funky things. And so I do think that there probably is some connection there. I definitely suspect that there's some genetic connections somehow. And that can predispose people to having ligament ligament laxity as well as even Hashimoto's. I feel like there's probably going to be more research coming out on this as well, which I hope there is, because I, I think there I think there's definitely some connection there. There just isn't enough out there on it, but I feel like there's definitely some connection. Yeah. I think that's why it's so important to like keep spreading the message of resistance training, strength mm-hmm. training, because no amount of stretching, no amount of low impact <laughs> exercise or even just even Pilates and yoga is going to stabilize the joints, right? Like no amount of chaturangas in yoga is going to stabilize the joints. And so- It's going to stabilize. Yeah. So shifting that narrative away, because I think it's a common recommendation, even amongst functional medicine doctors, to give those more low impact exercise recommendations because they don't want to tax the adrenal glands. But I think it's a, it's, I don't think it's a great recommendation. So there's like walking. I'm like, go for a walk. That's fine. You're calming the nervous system. I'm like, I don't care about that as long as you're not like walking hundred miles an hour and you're doing like speed walking for like hours on end. But yeah, I think that is, it's tough because that is the common recommendation is just go, we need you to look, well, first of all, typically the focus from the doctor is, oh, you're overweight and you have Hashimoto's. You need to lose weight and do what you can. Yeah, get some cardio in. That's typically going to be the recommendation. And again, they're not really trained on, let's talk about nutrition. Let's talk about exercise and things like that. That's not their training. That's not their background. So it's really tough because you get that into your mind, like this is how you're going to do it, which makes it really difficult. But exactly what you said, no amount of different yoga poses and your Pilates and all that, no amount of that's going to stabilize the joint. And that there's research on like weight resistance training and weight training building the muscles around the joint is so, so important. And with Hashimoto's, you do lose muscle mass. I can vouch for that. I know when I got diagnosed, I mean, I was killing myself with workouts. I was practicing as a PT and a personal trainer at the time. And I'm like, what is wrong with my body? I am literally losing muscle mass here. I don't know how I'm losing muscle mass when I'm doing all this workout. But again, I wasn't doing the right kind of training. I was doing a ton of cardio. I was even doing a lot of stretching as well. And I did stretching to a point to help, you know, loosen up muscles, but I wasn't doing enough weight training. I wasn't doing enough, like that resistance, that high intensity resistance. And I think the fear is if you do weight training, it's too taxing on the adrenals. And I'm like, no, (laughs) it's actually not. It's actually good for the adrenals because think about it. When you're doing cardio, you're never resting your adrenals. You're never resting your heart rate. You're doing this constant, let's just hit this cardio. Your heart's never going down. Your heart rate is never going down. It's just constantly hitting it. So your adrenals are getting taxed. When you're doing weight training, you stop, take your rest period, heart rate comes down, take a little breather. That's actually good for your adrenals. And that's what's really tough is because women don't, a lot of women don't realize that because again, they're just told you need to lose weight, exercise more. And when you think of exercise, what do most people think of? I'm going to go do cardio. I'm going to hop on this treadmill or I'm going to get outside and go for a two hour long run, which I'm not a runner. So I definitely couldn't do that. I'll never be a runner either, but it's tough because that's typically what we're told. 
And it's, it, I can see it even with my own client. I have to break that mindset with them. And it, it can be a difficult for really difficult for some because they, especially my runners, I got a lot of women that come to me that are marathon runners and they're dying. They're just miserable and gaining weight and tired and hair is falling out in clumps and all these things. And I'm like, you're still running. Yeah, I'm still running. I'm like, well, we're going to have to cut that out. And it's really tough. It's a very tough conversation, but they can feel changes. And when they start feeling that, I'm like, this is why I've been saying this. You can't kill yourself like that. Your body is not designed to do that. What do you tell the woman who is worried about getting bulky? Because I think there's different conversations around this, I think. <laughs> and I'd love to hear your perspective. It's interesting because when I got certified as a personal trainer, you know, you learn all the things. This rep range needs to be with this if you want a hypertrophy. This rep range needs to be this if you want to just maintain your muscle mass. There is obviously there's research around that. We can see that. Like there's no question with that. But in my own experience and when I was doing a lot of personal training, I did, did, did pretty decent amount of weight with a lot of my clients. And the big reason was because I'm like, you need that resistance. You're not going to bulk. It's just, you have to like get over that kind of fear. You're not going to bulk. But here's where it gets tricky. In my experience, when I have seen women that they felt, whether we saw it or not, they felt like they were getting bulky doing high resistance. I'm like, what's your diet like? Because what I noticed it was they weren't getting enough protein in, so they won't, weren't supporting the muscle with the amino acids. Two, they were loading up on carbs and it was usually yuck carbs. They were eating junk food still. And I'm like, that doesn't help. And that literally is the only time when I have seen women where they have bulked up, not massive, but you could see changes where they were kind of bulking up. I'm like, yeah, because you're eating really, really junky food. You're not giving any protein. You're not supporting that muscle mass to have, you know, kind of leaner muscle mass. Um, you're eating all this junk food. So you're creating inflammation. What follows inflammation? I'm like swelling. You're going to have swelling. You might even retain more water, things like that. I'm like, if you're not getting your diet better and working on that at the same time, I'm like, you could run that risk where it might look bulky and it's not necessarily the most muscle bulking. It's water. It's water retention. It happens all the time. And that that's a, a really <laughs> can be a tough conversation to have sometimes because I'm like, the diet has to be such an important piece of it. And I, I know even for me, when I was in my 20s, the doctor said, eat less, exercise more. So what did I do? Exercise more, did more cardio, didn't do weight, much weight training. I ate a little left, but I was eating like Cheerios. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't like eating protein. I was eating like junk food. I'm like, no wonder I was like getting kind of bigger, but like not muscular like I wanted to. I wasn't like leaning out. I like this, this isn't working. And again, I was taxing my adrenals. I was eating junk food still. And like that combination doesn't work when you're, when you're doing a lot of weight training. That again, what I've seen over the years with a lot of women is that the, the nutrition part is often ignored. And that's actually a really crucial piece so that when we are lifting weights and put it this way, I've always had an athletic build. I'm, I'm, I've never been like this skinny. Like I, that's not my body. I'm always, always an athletic build. But what I noticed with my body is when I got my nutrition spot on and I started, I can do a pretty heavy weight now. I'm leaner and thinner than I've ever been. And I'm doing the heaviest weight I've ever been. And I know it's because I have my nutrition. It's so spot on. And I have got my adrenals and my thyroid like functioning 
so much better and I'm not killing myself with cardio, that's actually what's helping my body. That's what's getting me into that position where I can do those weights and I'm not like getting massive from it. I'm not like bulking out. I have really solid, like leaner muscles from it then. Amazing. I recently heard Andy Galpin on Andrew Huberman's podcast and he really made it really simple. He's like, do three to five different moves, three to five reps, three to five sets, three to five days a week. And I was like, wow, that's so simple. Yeah. <laughs> it seems almost yeah. Yeah. too simple. Yeah. yeah. And it really, honestly, it's exactly, and when you think about it, it does seem like it's too simple. Yeah. But that's why I'm so big about like movement pattern. I'm like, everyday movement patterns, we need those. So I'm like, you don't have to get hung up on, oh, we have to hit every single body part, do every single thing like individually. I like combo moves because for one, you get more bang for your buck, but um, it doesn't need to be so complicated. Yeah. And that's where it can get tricky is a lot of people think it needs to be so complicated and it really does not need to be that complicated. You can keep it very, very simple. Um, and the reps do not have to be like, oh, a woman should only do, and I've seen this, 20 to 25 reps and the light super weight. And I'm like, pretty hard to gain muscle and have good, good solid muscle around your joints when you're repping out that high of reps and you're not getting enough resistance. And it's, it's hard to do that. And again, you, you, I see it with my, with women, I see it with clients. I'm like, you're better off to get those reps down and, and get that weight up so that you're getting some resistance to that muscle, that that muscle has a chance to respond. Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts on rep scheme, because I know maybe some of the older research as well as mm-hmm. trainers, especially if the goal is hypertrophy, right? So like building the muscle mm-hmm. that the reps need to be, you know, closer to like 12 reps per set and then 20 yeah. sets yeah. per muscle group per week. What are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like for the Hashi lady, that's a lot. <laughs> that's too much. Yeah. And that's honestly, and that's like, like I said earlier too, like my personal training certification, that's how we learned it exactly how we learned it. And I'm like, Hashis can't do that. Like I couldn't do that even now. And I've been working out for a long time. That's a lot. My body could not do that. I mean, I would put it this way. I would be exhausted and it would catch up with me if I tried to do that. 12 rep. Yeah. I can see a time and place for that. Again, depending on what the move is, depending on where the person is. But yeah, like that's, first of all, that's a long workout and that's, that's, that's a lot of intensity. And I just don't think a lot Hashi's people can't handle that. I feel like that's just going to be too much compounding on the body. Uh, the body, the body would have a hard time to, to keep up with that. I usually don't do it that way, even though it is like, you know, like you said, consider like the norm. This is how you have to do it. Right. And I'm like, you have to take in consideration what, where the person is at with their health. Someone who doesn't have Hashimoto's, they probably could do that. Yeah, totally could. But when you have Hashimoto's and, and, and hypothyroidism, the body can't do that. And typically I don't, I'm not going to recommend that either. Yeah. What's the rep scheme you do recommend? Like uh, if there was a range. So I'm usually 12 would definitely be the max. I'm usually doing like six to eight, maybe eight to 10. It kind of depends on, I'm usually, I, I rarely go over 10. Again, it depends on where the person is, depends on the move that I'm doing. My bigger like compound moves, especially like squat, deadlifts, things like that, we're doing like six to eight. Yeah. Um, and again, it's hard because a lot of women are like, ooh, I'm going to bulk up. Like, 
I thought I was supposed to do like 25 of these. And I'm like, well, you could, but you're really not going to get muscle response from it. So I'm, I typically try to go lower. Again, depends on where the person is. My more advanced people, they're definitely good with it. Like once they get into it, they're like, oh yeah, they, they like that feeling of six to eight rep range because they're like, I feel like I'm getting a response. Like it's really, really hard because I have the weight heavier and I can do, you know, you know, even six reps. They love that. And I'm like, even if you get four, <laughs> I'm like, let's just get that weight up a little bit. Let's, let's keep the reps kind of lower. And it's hard because a lot of them, like I said, especially if they've done exercise before or they've worked with a trainer before, typically that's what they're told. Oh, you're a woman. You've got to do like 25. I, ha- I had someone who said that they did 35 reps of everything they did because their trainer said, you have to do 35 to 50 reps as a woman. Hmm. And that was a hard one to break. I'm like, that's a lot of reps. Like you can't do much weight with that. I'm like, your muscles are not going to respond to that. It's kind of that mundane. It's, I always use the analogy. It, it's just like doing steady state cardio. I'm like, you're doing the same thing over and over for like an extended period of time. I'm like, the muscles weren't respond enough to that. And could predispose you, especially if you're hypermobile to an overuse injury or a tendon injury. Yeah. 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 And you see that a lot. I see that a lot with Hashiotis. Do you give any specific cues? Because especially with hypermobility, the ligament laxity, I think women have a hard time kind of knowing where they are in space. Like, so if they think they're standing up straight, uh-huh. it's really like, oh, or your knees are like back behind your ankles right now. <laughs> yeah. You know, hanging out of the ligaments. Are, yeah. Are there any specific cues through a move or during a move or to finish a move? And we could pick a move that you give so that they don't, when their knees are straight, they don't kind of just boink, sit on their ligaments. So some of the big things that I'm always cueing them on, one is a lot of, especially with that kind of ligament laxity, like when we're doing even like deadlifts, like locking the knees out. I'm like, let's not lock the knees out. That's a big one that I have to cue a lot on is not locking the knees out. And especially a lot of them just don't think about, let's make sure this the core is contracted. <laughs> Let's make sure, and sometimes I'll even have to say, do like a Kegel, do a Kegel exercise, like squeeze so that we can get some engagement of the core just to support your body a little bit better, support your back a little bit better. But it definitely can be tough because a lot of, um, it's really easy, especially with a ligament laxity, just slam the joint. Even with like, if they're doing like a bicep curl or something, like they'll slam the joint out and in. So I have to have them control. Let's control the weight, whatever the move is, whatever the move is they're doing. Let's control the weight. Let's keep that movement pattern. Let's not fly through it. That's a really big, huge. <laughs> a lot of times they want to just get through the workout and they're flying through the movement. And so I have to give them like tempo cues even. Like, okay, we're, and I'll say two seconds. I'm like, two seconds down, two seconds back. Like I'll, I'll have to make them slow. Sometimes I'll have to say three seconds to make them slow down because they're just flying through it. That's a great way to like slam the joint out and hyperextend. Yeah. It's a great way to have terrible form when you're flying right through it because you're not thinking about it. And it's like you said, a lot of them can't, the spatial awareness may not even be there. Like they can't even feel like where their body, like you said, like where your knees are relative to your toes and, you know, like where your butt is. Like when you're doing a deadlift, you know, a lot of, I, that's another cue answer. Like stick your butt out, like get your butt back. Like you're sitting in a chair, stick your butt back because that, that awareness usually isn't there. And they're like, oh, I, why would I want to do that? I'm like, well, you got to sit in a chair, right? You have to sit on the toilet, right? So stick your, stick your butt back. And it, it can be tough. 
for some because the, they want to just fly through the, the movement pattern. Yeah. Do you ever tempo the eccentric, the eccentric portion of the move? Sometimes I think when I'm programming, okay, if the goal is muscle, to like feed the muscle with the resistance training, mm-hmm. how can I feed those muscle fibers without having someone pick up a weight? Because maybe they have limited weight at home and without, you mm-hmm. know, totally tanking them out. So sometimes I'll tempo and slow down the eccentric part of the move just to yeah. kind of like work around yeah. those two limitations of limiting weight and limiting energy I'm expenditure. <laughs> tempo out. Yeah, I will tempo out too and do, okay, we're going to slow that eccentric down. And they're like, ugh, that's kind of hard. And I'm like, that's why we're doing it. Especially when they're limited with A, they don't have the equipment. They're like, especially if they're doing it like at home, don't have much equipment, don't have much time. I'm like, all right, well, we're going to do this. We're going to load this eccentric. We're going to go really slow on this. It's hard. I do, I do eccentric loading myself. It's probably one of the harder workouts that any workout that I do, if I do more eccentric loading, I'm, it's probably one of the hardest workouts. Um, for sure. I love doing that with the Hashi people too, because when you do that too, you have to go slow with it because you're trying to get that eccentric load. So you, they have to slow down to keep with that tempo number. So it, it makes them control better. They're not blaming the weight. So they are, they will get more muscle reaction from that, that way too. And it's a great way to incorporate more, I'll say intensity, but more muscle work with less time or less equipment. It's a great way to incorporate that. Yeah. Last question. What, and I don't think a lot of women know this. So let's say we're just using that like six to eight rep range. What should the last, like how should someone feel as they're going through their reps? Because I think a lot of women don't know how heavy they should be lifting because by the last couple reps, they have like 10 more in the tank. (laughs) So what should someone feel? By like rep, let's say if we're doing six to eight, by like rep five, six, seven, like what physical sensation should they be feeling? So again, definitely can be person dependent, but like even in my own workout, I'm usually listening to, first of all, if I can physically feel, which I had this actually today because I did legs today, I can physically feel like, okay, my body's like actually like tingling. Like, I don't know if I could get like get that much more, definitely have to listen to things like that. Um, the other thing too that I have people pay attention to as well is, for example, I did legs today. So I was doing a deadlift pattern. I could feel like my core was like not going to support me. Like it was tapping out. That was my cue. Like, okay, you need your back support here. So you cannot, if you can, like I physically like could not get my core to do anything. I'm like, that's, that's my cue. I cannot go, I cannot do more reps than this or I'm going to mess my back up or whatever. So I have people pay attention to that for sure. The other factor that I, then this is again, where a lot of spatial awareness comes into play. You have to watch your form. And if you, you, so let's say you're on rep number six and your rep range is six to eight. And you're like, I really want to get to eight. You're doing deadlift pattern. You can't even get your butt back. Your knees are like way over your toe. And you're like, no, I can still do it. Even though the weight's too heavy. I'm like, that's your cue to stop. You can't keep that. The, the form has to be so spot on every single rep. And if you can physically feel your body is not in that form. Again, I do a lot of education on what the form should be for the moves. If you can physically feel your body is not in that form, I'm like, that's your key to stop. You cannot go further with those reps. And and then, uh, of course, if you're, <laughs> you, you you have to, and again, it, take, it takes a lot of almost to work around this and paying attention to your cues with your body. But let's say I'm on rep six and I'm like, I really want to get to rep eight. I just feel like I'm going to vomit. <laughs> I just <laughs> feel sick. 
I feel like lightheaded almost, like blood sugar is tanking. I'm like, don't push through that. Because yeah. I do have people do that. They're like, no, I got to get to my eight rep. I'm going to do it. Or they'll be all like rep four. And I'm like, I would rather you stop at rep four to avoid that. <laughs> Even yeah. though your rep range may be six to eight, I would rather you stop that. And then again, that's your cue. So let's say rep range six, to eight, you're doing deadlift. You get to rep, you're on set number two. You get to rep number four and your body's like, I can't, I can't physically do it. I think I'm going to feel like I'm like lightheaded or whatever. And my form's terrible. That's your cue. Cut the weight down. You can't do that weight. I would rather you get to that six to, effort, six to eight rep range and let's cut that weight back a little bit. And I do sometimes we'll have to have people do, they'll do a little bit certain weight in the beginning and then they may add weight on. They'll have different weight for the same exercise yeah, and start working up that way versus like you're doing the same amount of weight for every single set. Again, it just depends on the person and how I design it. But even for me, like I, a lot of times I can add weight as I, as I do more set yep. and on the move. You know, homophily, but I'm like, you, yeah, but you have, I'm like, you still, you have to, you have to feel safe. You have to feel like you are using good form. And that's where, and a lot, this is hard because a lot of women are like, I don't want to look in the mirror. I'm like, you have to, <laughs> you have to watch yourself in the mirror. If you can't keep that form, can't rep that out and you can't get to your rep range, first of all, and then you probably need to drop that weight down. Well, I want you to get to your rep safely with using that proper form. And I'm, Again, I'm a pretty big stickler about form and, and that's where I might get in. You got to watch in the mirror. I need you to look in the mirror so that you know you're getting that good form. Now, sometimes women, once they've been working out, they can feel that they're not, they're not, you know, necessarily adamant about being in front of a mirror, but, and they get that sensation where they can physically feel like, yeah, I feel like I'm doing pretty good form here. I'm getting to my reps and feeling safe with it. But yeah, again, I've had people where they're like, no, I like get like a little lightheaded and I'm like that your blood sugar is dropping. I'm like, you stop, like you can't push yourself past that point. Yeah. Because that's what we do. Like a lot of women were like, no, I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to push through it. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. You got to listen to your body still. Yeah. Such an important message. I feel like we're living parallel lives and the information we're sharing. So I'm like, yes, heavy weights, <laughs> yes, long rest breaks. <laughs> so, yeah, which is not the norm. Again, that's not what we're told. Yes. And I love that there is someone else out in the world that also sees that the Hashi ladies have hypermobility. Because <laughs> I felt like this conversation I've been uh, having is, <laughs> um, I'm like, how come no one else sees it? So it's so nice. Where can yeah. people find you? So I'm on Instagram at Angela Brown Coach. Um, I'm on there a lot. I do a lot of videos and stuff like that on there. And then I have a website um, at AngelaBrown.org where I have tons of like freebies and stuff like that. A lot of good info on there too. So that's where I hang out. A lot on Instagram though. I'm, not, I'm on Facebook too, but I'm not on there as much. Instagram is like my favorite spot. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. It was so wonderful having you on. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Just to have like a fellow movement person in this world. It's, it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. I agree with you. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode or even learned just one new piece of information to help you on your Hashimoto's journey, would you do me a huge favor? Rate and review Thyroid Strong Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you used to listen in to this podcast and share what you liked. Maybe you learned something new. And if you didn't like it, well, shoot me a DM on Instagram, Dr. Emily Kybird. I read and respond to every single DM. 
I truly believe all feedback is good feedback, even the ugly comments. If you're interested in joining the Thyroid Strong course, a home workout program using kettlebells and weights, where I teach you how to work out without the burnout, go to dremilykybird.com forward slash TS waitlist. You'll get all the most up-to-date information on when the course launches and goes live, special deals and early access bonuses for myself and my functional medicine doctor friends. Again, dremilykyber.com forward slash TS waitlist. I hope to see you on the inside, ladies.